heaven uh, last week, and it was kind of a cool segue. We've been looking at the churches in Revelation, uh, and now uh, finding ourselves taking a look at heaven and then jumping back into our study on the churches. Uh, and so uh, what I wanted to do uh, was to give us just a little bit of an introduction at first, because there's this phrase I want you to remember, and it's this, a tough spot, a tough spot. Uh, and so when we think about that, uh, the church in Pergamum was a church that was in a tough spot. Now we might think that, well, all the churches around that time were in a tough spot, and maybe that's true, but Pergamum had had a lot of other things going against it, and so we'll talk about some of those. Uh, but maybe as you think about that, as we get into the message, think about a tough place you've been in in the past. Um, and, and as I did that, I began to think about characters in the Bible too, and people who have gone through difficult things in the Bible, uh, had different stories. You know, you think about Daniel, who's taken from his home, and uh, he's taken into captivity. He's, he's put into the king's court and forced to do certain things, and at different points, he has to make really hard decisions on whether or not he's going to serve God, be faithful to God, or whether or not he's going to bow down to the king. And so that's a pretty tough spot, right? Uh, do, do what we say or you die, right? Uh, and so most of us haven't experienced that, right? We've come up against some opposition, some difficult places. Uh, maybe you think about uh, a time with your family when things were difficult. I know um, we're coming up on, uh, it's been about a year since my grandfather passed away and um, many of you know that I shared what took place with you. Uh, I was able to go down to Texas and it's been about 10 days. And in that 10 day period, from the beginning to the end, I got a phone call uh, before I even got on a plane about my dad who had had a heart attack. Uh, and so I got on the plane and a couple of days later, my grandfather who was not doing well, uh, passed away. And that was somewhat expected. A uh, funeral took place later that week. Uh, my dad had another heart attack during that week um, leading up to the funeral. And that whole time I was going back and forth between uh, the hospital where my dad was, the house that I grew up in, checking on my brothers who were there, uh, and then to my grandmother's house, which before I was um, with my grandfather at his, his bedside before he passed, and then comforting my grandmother um, after he passed away. And so we, when we think about difficult things or tough spots, we, we go to a lot of places in our minds, right? We think about biblical characters who, who went through really, really tough times, who had to really, really, really believe uh, what they said they believed, right? They had to actually car- carry it out. And other times we think about uh, family situations, tough times there, because we experience those, and we have those things to compare up against. And so <clears throat> before we jump into the text, I want to remind us again what, what our vision statement is, and it's really supposed to help inform us about everything that we do here at the church, uh, loving Christ, growing the church, reaching the community. And so if we can look at all these things, we're going to have a business meeting after service too, so look at all the things that we're doing and say, are we doing that? within the framework of our church. And so <clears throat> as we jump into the series, I want to just remind you um, who's writing what's going on here in Revelation. Um, a guy named John, you don't know who John is, he was a disciple and an apostle. He was the last living disciple of Jesus who was with him during his ministry um, as he's writing this. So everybody else has been martyred. Um, he's placed by the Roman government on the island of Patmos, which um, nobody would have ever wanted to go to. This was a place that he, people were sent to die. And talk about tough spots. Um, John's there, and I'm sure uh, as we'll talk about the throne of Satan here in uh, this text in Revelation, I'm sure Satan you know, was, was very pleased with that, right? The Roman government takes him and puts him on the island, and he's probably going, ha, John, last disciple, see what you're going to do here, 
Probably nothing, right? And uh, so what does God do? He, he reaches through the fabric of space and time, and he pulls John into it, and he goes, let me show you something. And Satan's going, no, what's happening? Oh, I thought I was winning. And, and so this is where John was. He was in a difficult spot. He was in a tough spot. But uh, if we look at our own lives, we look at the lives of the people who are in the Bible, who are carrying out God's will then, I think what we'll see is that God does the most molding and shaping and some of the most amazing things in our lives when we're in that tough spot, when we're in that tough place. And I think he was doing the same thing for the church in Pergamum. He's going to give him some reminders, um, help point him in the right direction, say it's not too late. So let's take a look at it. Now, the first fill in the blank is difficult places. Um, we've, in these tough spots, we've all been in difficult places. Maybe it's, it was your job. Uh, maybe it was your home growing up. Uh, maybe it was a, just a particular place maybe you, you went to, like maybe a school, and there was always that bully there who just wouldn't leave you alone. That was that tough spot for you. Well, there are tough places in life, right? And so as we look through these first couple of verses, we'll see this, this difficult place. Starts in verse 12, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now we see this sharp two-edged sword throughout the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a sign of um, God's judgment. So we know when Jesus comes back, he's going to be uh, riding this white horse, and there's going to be this sword that he's going to talk about later in the text that's coming from his mouth. And it's to show us that he, he's coming and he's serious about judgment, right? Um, a, a lot of times people think, well, <clears throat> I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want, and then, you know, God will be good with that. I can live my life, and then if he shows up, um, or if I die, and you know, I'm going to get to go to heaven, I got that free ride. But we don't think about God's judgment and how serious he feels about evil and wickedness in our lives. And so we have to think about that. And he wanted to remind the church in uh, Pergamum, he says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, we know um, that there's a couple of different phrases that are used about the, um, the churches in regards to the individuals he's writing to. Um, he's always writing to, Jesus is always writing to the pastor of the church. Um, now, what we'll see is that there was this guy named Antipas who was the pastor of the church uh, that John actually commissioned and ordained to the ministry to serve at the church in Pergamum. And as we're reading this text, Jesus is going to write about Antipas actually losing his life for the faith. Uh, So he was the pastor there. He ended up passing away, and there were some other things that happened because he died. People were jumping in, trying to take control, um, trying to do some things that they wanted to. And so then in verse 13, it's a difficult place because there's... um, demonic influence, right? And so we, sometimes we see these kind of texts and we go, we just pretend they're not there. Or, you know, like we just did this whole series on spiritual warfare, right? So there's a serious battle going on behind the scenes, right? There's this serious battle in the spiritual realm um, that we have to take seriously. And Jesus, he acknowledges it here. He's like, it's a difficult place. Let me tell you why. Uh, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, that's a, it's a tough word, right? This, this place, Pergamum, it was one of the richest cities of the ancient world. It had a lot of things going for it. If you were just looking from the outside, you'd be like, that's like New York City, or I mean, that's like, you know, that's like a, a really, really big place. I mean, they have anything and everything you could want, right? Uh, and so... 
there was even a, a library that was uh, supposed to be one of the most well-known libraries in the ancient world. No, it's not there anymore, of course. Uh, but people were kind of propped up on their money, uh, on their stuff, uh, on their um, knowledge. They took a lot of these things in society and program them, and they would go, we're awesome or we're great because of our accomplishments. Well, you go back to Genesis and you look at the Tower of Babel and the people of God who were you know, building that great tower and going, we're, we're going to be like God. Or wait, we are like God. And what happened? God said, no, no, no. Let me put you in your place, right? And so God, uh, in a similar way, he's going, I understand where you're at. I know it's a difficult situation. I know there's this <clears throat> throne and the word here for uh, throne in the Greek is thronos and uh, it just means a place of power. So <clears throat> we, we have a a great and awesome and amazing God that we serve, right? Certainly greater than Satan, but it doesn't mean that Satan doesn't operate in some power. Now you go back to the book like Job, and you see that clearly when Satan wants to do something, he has to go and say, um, God, is it okay if uh, you know I, I do this one thing? And I, I mean, I'm convinced that if you would let me hurt Job, take away his kids, take away his stuff, then he won't love you anymore. Right? God says, okay. Right? And so when we, when we look at the entirety of God's word, we have, we have to go, okay, thank you, Jesus, that you're acknowledging that there's difficult circumstances, right? That we go through difficult places. Um, some of it's just because there's a lot of wicked things going on around us, right? And we feel like, ah, oh, it's just pressing in. It's pressing in on us. But we serve a God that's greater than Satan, don't we? The one who rebelled. And so I... Um, uh, I was on a mission trip and um, maybe you've encountered somebody like this before. I was with, with my youth group. We went down to New Orleans after one of the hurricanes came through uh, and we were just helping, you know, fix things, repair things, throw away things. And we went down to the French Quarter during the day and um, <laughs> during a good time of the year. And uh, we went there and of course there's always, you know, people there. So we got the little, you know, cakes. I don't know what they're called, but, you know, the, the French Quarter. And um, they're famous for, and there's various people there when you go. And there was this one guy, he was like dressed in black, very tall. I mean, very daunting. Um, and so we're kind of walking around. We're in this group. Um, you know, we got church shirts on, so it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, who we are. And, and we're walking by and just started talking to this guy. He's got, and he had all these dolls like set up um, on this table. And I was like, well, first of all, this is weird. It's like this guy, he's all in black, and he's got like kids' dolls. Like, what, what is going on? Uh, and so I start talking to him, and he, you know, he tells me, well, I'm a Satanist. Right? I said, oh, okay. Uh, well, um, well um, tell me about that. I'd like to tell you about you know, what I'm about, you know, God and, and Jesus. And he said, okay. And he starts telling me about these voodoo dolls that he's selling. And um, he said, you know, if you want to hurt somebody for the low, low price of this, then you can accomplish it. And I said, no, thanks. <laughs> uh, but uh, let me tell you about uh, God. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I follow Satan. And, um, you know, he's got, he's a pretty powerful dude. And I said, you know what, let me acknowledge that. But the most, most powerful person in all the universe is God. He said, okay, well, maybe you got me there. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, at least we've gotten somewhere. Uh, conversation didn't go super long, but we, we walk into places where we see people like that and we dare to have conversations with them. Uh, what we realize pretty quickly is that most people are aware of who God is, right? But they're also aware that Satan is present as well, and he's got some degree of power. And so uh, Jesus acknowledges this, right? So we have to be aware of this. And he says to the church of Pergamum, hey, I know what's going on, right? I know you're in a difficult place. I know there's a lot of wickedness going around. 
Um, and it reminded me of a, a conference, too, that Christy and I went to a couple of weeks ago. It was for a small-town pastor's conference. Uh, and there's a group there called Rama who put it together, and um, they had this brochure. And I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I started looking at it, and they have this campaign to reach the 175 counties in the United States that are less than 5% evangelical. And Genesee County was one of those. And so when I saw that at first, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm like a little bit discouraged by that. But at the same time, what great opportunity is God giving us? I said, hey, I, guys, we're actually at a church in, in that area, and um, we're doing ministry. It doesn't mean that things aren't hard. It doesn't mean that you're not in a difficult spot trying to reach out. And Jesus acknowledges this. And so we need to um, <clears throat> understand that uh, he's going to acknowledge it for us. There's difficult places, right, that we're doing ministry, that we're being faithful. And Jesus even said, hey, you've been faithful in the midst of all of this. He gives some affirmation. And then the second fill in the blank is this difficult people, right? So we, there's difficult places. Right? We go difficult places. We have maybe our job is a difficult place. Maybe our family's been a difficult place growing up. Maybe our, the school we go to, and we're like, how are we supposed to navigate this? There's some wickedness going on. Jesus says, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking that away from you. Maybe it is a difficult place. And then there's difficult people. Don't look at anybody else in the room. There's, there's difficult, yeah, if you were like, eh, eh, eh. There, there's difficult people, right? Now, we know some of those. Don't say any, anybody's name out loud either. Um, but, and Jesus acknowledges this. He's not like, hey, Pergamum, you're in a difficult spot. You're in a difficult place. Yeah, I know all these things are going on. And there's some difficult people there too. That was like, when I read that, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> there are some difficult people, right, that you have to deal with from time to time. And, and God loves all of them the same, right? So it doesn't give us any right to go, yeah, you're difficult, right? But even Jesus, let's see what he says here. Uh, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality, Oh, all right. That's not a good phrase, right? You don't want to hear that from Jesus to begin with, but he's going, hey, there's some difficult people there, all right? Um, I have a few things against you. This phrase in the Greek, the Allah, Echo, Eligos, Kata, when they heard that, they, they knew exactly what he was saying, and they're like, okay. So he said some, some things. He's acknowledging the place that we're in, uh, but now he's going to say some things that, oh, we might have a hard time hearing. So these teachings of Balaam, um, in the Old Testament, there's this, uh, this group of people who are centered around creating stumbling blocks for the people of God. They're like, we know they worship the one true God. We're going we're gonna to do as much as we can um, to confuse them, to make them stumble. We're going to give, hey, there's food sacrificed to idols. It's okay. You can take that, right? Don't worry about that. They said it wasn't a problem. Um, you can practice sexual immorality. Um, you can uh, have a relationship with somebody outside of your marriage relationship. They said, God's not going to care. So they were trying to mislead the people. It was a similar place, Pergamum was, to like Ephesus. So it was a very big uh, cultural religious center. So they had a lot of education. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of stuff. They had a lot of religion though, right? Have you ever been somewhere uh, where... Uh, maybe there's uh, people who are very religious, right? Maybe it's a big group of people who believe different things, but you've heard somebody say, hey, those people, they're really religious. Well, in Pergamum, people would have said the same thing. Those people are very religious, but maybe they weren't following exactly what the gospel was, and there were people within the church who were trying to lead astray. 
And so if you look back to Numbers 22 through 25, um, there was this king who um, he, wanted to, uh, he wanted to, again, trip up the people of God. So he used um, Balaam to uh, influence the people of Israel. Uh, and there was this other group uh, called the Moabites who um, he specifically used. And he went in and he said, okay, uh, I want you guys to uh, send your women in to the uh, people of God, the Israelite men, and, and you know, go into them and say, hey, there's no problem. We can intermarry. Uh, we can have relationships. And as a result, the people of God, the family was distorted. And so the, the Moabite women were going, no, 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 let's not worship the one true God. Or, um, yeah, well, let's worship him, but let's also worship Balaam. Let's also do some of these other things uh, because, you know, I mean, let's, let's, have a, let's be well-rounded here, right? They continue to distort God's truth. And so uh, Jesus says here, hey, just like people were confused in the Old Testament, the Israelites, here's what you guys are doing, right? You can't keep doing the same thing. So here's a few things I have against you. And then in verse 15, well, there's difficult people because some people act like Christians or they say that they are, but they're really not, right? Now, we, we all encounter um, those that maybe are in our work settings or in school, and maybe they don't, they don't even go to church, but they would say, well, I'm a Christian, and but how do they live, right? Do they have any sort of pursuit after God? And we have to go, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe I could help you a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> so here's what it says. So you also have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So that, again, this is a group that was distorting the truth. They were saying, um, here is the gospel. Yes, that's good. Let's do that. Uh, but let's also do some other things. Do we really have to hold so closely to the fact that, I mean, you know, Jesus did go to the cross and die for our sins. I mean, that seems pretty miraculous, right? I mean, he, ra- he raised himself from the dead. So there were all these individuals um, who were taking teachings from other places. They were being deceived by others. They were being told, people from within the church, they were going, yeah, I mean, you know, I know what John said when he, he brought Antipas in and he became the pastor of our church. And I mean, Antipas died for the gospel, but maybe it's not worth it. And so there were all these things going on. There, were, there was a difficult place, difficult people in the church. And sure enough, uh, we all experience this from time to time. And we have to go, what is the truth? Am I going to stay faithful to what the truth is and be faithful to God specifically? And so we've got difficult places, difficult people. And the last one is um, difficult, not impossible. Because maybe we come up against these difficult places and we go, God, I just don't know how we're supposed to be Christians in <clears throat> this environment. How are we supposed to keep doing this? Because it, it's exhausting, right? It just feels so difficult. How am I supposed to do this? Well, Jesus reassures them that it's difficult. It's not impossible. So don't you love that? Jesus, he doesn't say, like, everything's perfect. Like, you guys don't have any problems. Like, just feel good about yourselves. Um, no, he goes... You got some serious problems. You're in a difficult place. I'm not taking that away from you. You, you got some difficult people that are even in your church that um, they're causing a lot of problems. And then he, he points us back to this truth that it's, it's difficult, right? But it's not impossible to live this Christian life and pursue God. So here's what he says in verse 16. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So there again, he's talking about this sword. So he's given them this opportunity. At every church in the book of Revelation, now wherever we find ourselves in the midst of all of this, um, we may have one problem or multiple or none in regards to the churches that Jesus is talking about here. But what's the response? When there's an issue, when Jesus says, hey, I have something against you. I have this against you. I have a few things against you. And then he talks about what they are. 
here's where we can go, all right? Because as long as you're breathing, you can still turn back, right? You can still make adjustments. You can go, oh, that one area of my life, I know I haven't given that over to God. Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to repent. And that's the word that he uses here in the Greek. It's the metaneo. just means to change your mind. We have our minds fixed on a lot of things, don't we? The way that we like to do life, um, the way that we like to do our marriages, our families, our work. Um, and if anything starts to mess with that, if God's like, you know what, maybe we just need to tweak that a little bit, we go, oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> this is the way I've done it for a long time. I don't think I can change anything. Well, what do you think the people in Pergamum were feeling like? When they got this word, when their pastor was martyred, and they had to go, oh, yeah, you're right. We've really departed from the truth. So what are we going to do about that? Jesus says, repent. And then this uh, word in the Greek, the if not, it's one word in the Greek, may, it means or else. Now, you may have heard that word before, that phrase. Um, Maybe growing up in school, you encountered somebody who was a bully to you. And what would they say? Give me your money or else. Right? Or uh, what'd you bring for lunch? Give me your lunch or else. Or do my homework or else. And so maybe you've experienced that, maybe not. Maybe you were like, yeah, like nobody messed with me. <laughs> maybe you were the bully, so you worked through that already at this point, hopefully. But we've heard this phrases, right? Or else, right? Nations do this with each other all the time. It's like, don't do that or else. And you figure out who actually has the power to back that up. Uh, but when God says this, it should mean more to us, right? It should mean more than like a bully who we're like, oh, no, he's going to hurt us. Uh, it should mean more than a nation who's trying to intimidate or, or bully another smaller nation when they say or else. When God says, repent, if not, repent or else, what will happen? Well, we should take God's word seriously. Not like a bully who doesn't you know, meet you after school when he said he was going to, to, to beat you up. He says, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So there's still time. And he says, I'm going to war against, in the Greek it's the word pelameo, meaning to carry out war. And when Jesus says this, there's some weight to it, isn't there? Um, I remember um, growing up and George Bush was the president at the time and we were about to enter into another conflict. And I remember he, he got on television and uh, he, he declared war. And when a president does that, that's a serious time, right? People were sad. They were upset. They were excited. Um, they were, you know, oh, yeah, we're finally going to fix the problem over there um, that now has rematerialized itself in recent times. And, and so he said, we're going to go to war. And I remember a very mixed response to that. And um, it just reminded me when I was reading this, because he says to carry on a war, this battle, this war that's been taking place, well, God's been, been fighting it since the beginning, since we rebelled against him, right? Since at the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they said they knew exactly what not to do. It's right. Just, just don't take that one tree, the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, I think we know better. We want to be like God. We want to be like him. And what happened centered in the world. And as a result, Jesus has been trying to get us back to that place of perfect fellowship with him. 
Now, when we die and stand before him in heaven, we enter into perfect fellowship. Mac talked about that last week. Uh, and eventually, we will all be in that place, a new heaven, a new earth. I love the verse that he used in Revelation where it talks about Jesus being the sun, uh, that we don't have any need for the sun anymore because he's our light. And so this is what we have to work for, look forward to. But Jesus, this whole time, has been preparing this scene and been teaching us and showing us. And through the church in Pergamum, he goes, if not, or else I'm going to make war. Like Jesus is going, I'm going to make this right one way or another. So make your choice or else I'm going to carry out this war. And this word's used in Revelation 17 and 19. In Revelation 17, 14, it says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. He is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those who with whom are called and chosen and faithful. So people are going to make war against the lamb. What's going to happen? He's going to conquer them, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm going to make war, and I'm going to make things right. Other people are going to try to make war against me, and then I'm going to conquer them. We'll see the same word conquer in regards to us at the end of the text also, so that's important. In Revelation 19.11, the same word is used here. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So, you know, we, we like this picture of Jesus that he's just, he's there when we need him. Uh, I've been doing some study for our Christmas series, so it's like we, we like to think about the baby Jesus. He's so cute and cuddly, you can just pick him up, and man, what an amazing Jesus. I just love that Jesus. But when we think about Jesus who's, who's cracking open the sky and he's riding on a white horse, you know, it's like you, you look at scenes like in um, uh, mythical movies like The Lord of the Rings, like, you know, like Gandalf when he's, he's riding over the hill on his horse. He's got an army with him. He's coming to make things right. Well, in the same way, we've got this picture of who Jesus is, and it's very, very clear. And when it comes to his judgments, his righteousness, making things right, he's going, I've been doing this from the very beginning. And you have a choice. Repent, or else I'm going to make war. It's not like maybe I'm going to do it. I'm going to make war. I'm going to make all things right. I'm going to be showing back up on this white horse, and you need to have made your decision at that point. You need to have made your choice. But there's good news for us. And so we have this, these difficult places, difficult people that we interact with. That we're, we're trying to go, no, this is what God wants us to do. And it's difficult, but it's not impossible. And here's why. It says in verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So what are we? Well, well Jesus said, he's going to say it to almost every church, you are conquerors. He said, let the person who has a spiritual ear, the person who's saved, let, let that person hear what I'm saying. Warn everybody else. And then you, the believer, you, you need to actually do something with it. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, this one who holds fast to their faith. Nekeo in the, in the Greek, um, that's us. That's those who are faithful. We're following Jesus and going, I will follow him to the very end, whatever he wants me to do. And you're going to find yourself in difficult places when you do that. You're going to find yourself interacting with difficult people from time to time. And, and know that while we're going through that, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. 
Uh, and so I love that. There was a, a church historian who talks about this verse, and he said, this is the invisible bread, this manna from heaven. So we know that manna from the Old Testament that God rained down for the people. He says, this invisible bread found in John six thirty five, uh, which came down from heaven, which indeed was made man, and the figure of this was indicated beforehand in the manna, manna given in the desert. This was Tychonius, by the way. And in John 6.35, he quotes it here. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. <laughs> Jesus is going, you're going to get this new manna. Uh, people are going like, I've got to fill my belly. I've got to get all this stuff for me. I've got to you know, make the most of my life right now. And Jesus is going, you guys have access to this hidden manna. Like in the Old Testament, people were hungry. I'm raining it down on them but you have access to it right now. And those who follow me faithfully, there's going to be this result for them. They're going to get something, this white stone he talks about. Uh, before I do that, I want to show you a video, and then we'll close the service talking about this white stone. Take a look at the screen. Jesus said, I'm going to give you this white stone, and it's a stone that's much more significant than this little stone that I had at the house. The reason he talks about this white stone is because the people in Pergamum would have known uh, what the white stone was significant. Uh, Jesus was talking to a culture that when they went to trial, when they went to have some sort of judgment, the judge at the conclusion of the trial he would either take a white stone or a black stone and he would lay it on the podium. And he didn't have to say anything else. 
But what this signified was either guilt or innocence. And there's a lot of things I think that we think about when we, we, we look at this church in Pergamum, the, the church that was in a difficult place, that had to deal with a lot of difficult people, and even at times probably had to deal with what Jesus said, hey, I've got a few things against you. You got all these people who are leading people astray, and maybe you've even fallen prey to some of those things yourself. And Jesus says at the end of this, he doesn't just leave them hanging, he doesn't just go repent or else, he's going to make war. He made that clear. He said, for those who conquer, for those who belong to Christ, for those who endure, who hold fast to the truth, I'm going to give this white stone. He says, I'm not going to be giving you a black stone. I'm not going to be giving you a stone of guilt, of condemnation. I'm going to be giving you this white stone. And on it has this name. And nobody else knows what that name is. I like to think about it as maybe the stone that God gives us. We look at it and it just says, child of God. I think sometimes we, we like to take the black stone, and I'm sure the church that uh, Jesus was talking to, Pergamum, they go, well, well, we know what the black stone looks like because, God, we've fallen short in a lot of different ways. God, we see our sin clearly. You've even made that clear to us as you talk to us in this letter. But he says, for those who conquer, I've given this white stone instead of a stone that has something like anger on it or lust or deceit or envy or rivalry. I like to think that this stone has the name child of God on it. And we receive that. Like the crown of life, he says, I'm going to give you this stone. And what it's going to mean for you is, is this. You have, you have this to look forward to, that you are innocent, that you've been washed in the blood. And like this church in Pergamum, they didn't have to walk in that condemna- condemnation. He said, just walk away from that deceit. Walk away from, from what's going on right there. Follow me faithfully. And even though you're going to be in the difficult places, the difficult people you're going to interact with, it is difficult, but it's not going to be impossible. And why is that? Because we have the perspective. So when you think things are just so tough, you're never going to get through it, be reminded, Jesus even said to the church in Pergamum, hey, repent, I'm going to bring war, but for those who conquer, I'm going to give you this white stone. You're not going to see anything on it that maybe is the life that you lived previously. You're going to see a white stone, maybe something like child of God written on it instead of something else. So, I want to pray for us and just give us the opportunity. Um, be reminded of those things. I feel like we walk throughout the week and we're just, we're carrying around. It's not even like a little black stone, right? It's like this giant black stone that we're trying to carry around in our backs. And we, it's like we're in this courtroom and there's this judge who, by the way, is not Jesus because Jesus says, hey, I've given the white stone to those who conquer, right? But we're walking around as Satan whispers in our ear. For the church in Pergamum, Satan was whispering in the ear going, you're not worth anything. You're a bunch of sinners. You're a bunch, you can't even fight. Look, you're so messed up in all these areas. And Jesus says, hey, I acknowledge that. You've got some things you need to fix, but you've been given a white stone. You're conquerors in Christ. And so stop walking around with this stone, right? Stop walking around with a thousand pound stone on your back because it's not the one that we meant to carry. In fact, we don't carry any stone of condemnation. Jesus did that for us, and he gives us the white stone. So let's remember that. We have that to look forward to, um, that we don't walk in condemnation. Uh, We don't walk like we live with any of those things that you saw on the screen. Uh, We walk unbound, without chains, right? Looking forward to heaven, like we talked about last week, and what God's going to do. And isn't that great? Um, So let me pray for us, and then we'll close. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time, for the 
uh, this uh, stone of remembrance that you give us, like the ones that you gave to all the people in the Old Testament. Uh, we pray that we would walk um, in this way, like the church in Pergamum did. It's not that they didn't have issues in the church. It's not that they weren't in a tough place, in a tough spot. God, they were. We know that. Uh, but God, you came to them through what you said to them. Um, you encouraged them. Even though there were things that needed to change in their life, you said to them, for those hear what the Spirit says to the churches, uh, that there are these conquerors, those who are faithful to God, who live their lives, trying to pursue Him. When we stumble, when we fall short, God, you don't give us the black stone. You don't give us a stone of condemnation. You've already paid for all those things on the cross, so why would we do that? Uh, I pray that this week we would walk in confidence, knowing that we are conquerors. Uh, God, you have paid the penalty for all those things uh, and more. And God, we're thankful that you give us this white stone um, as a reminder um, for those who conquer, um, that maybe what's written on there, I don't know, God, only you know and the people that you give it to, which is us, that maybe you give us a stone that just says, child of God. It doesn't have anything else on it, none of our past mistakes or heartaches or sins. But God, as we turn back to you, uh, we're reminded that we have hope. We can get through this difficult situation, this difficult life, this tough spot, whatever it is right now for us, and we can walk in confidence. And so we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, as a reminder, um, if anybody's here, if anybody's online, uh, we'd love to visit with you if you feel like, I don't know that I've ever had the opportunity to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, we just read this week in the quiet time in John that what gives us salvation, what gives us hope, what's believing in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, okay? If you'd like to talk to us about that, if you're online, reach out to us afterwards. Uh, I'll be here uh, also to talk with you as well. Uh, and so at this time, I'm going to give you guys a few minutes. Uh, we are going to uh, lead into our business meeting. Uh, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, um, please hang out and do that. Uh, it'll be about five minutes or so. Uh, we'll hand out our business meeting packets for the last couple of quarters. Uh, we'll give some time for questions. And then we have a, a couple of new members uh, that we'd like to present to you at the end um, where you can extend the right hand of fellowship or elbow or whatever you want to do. Okay, uh, so let's take a few minutes and then we'll get started with our business meeting. I will need uh, a couple of people to help me pass those packets.